you will open your Bible with me to the book of Luke chapter 22. Our scripture lesson will begin at verse 14. And uh, Brother Ronnie asked me if I'd pray about preaching a special message for you tonight. And uh, so I want to preach that entitled, The Passion and Death of Christ. And uh, I want to share with you, in fact, this message, the Lord gave it to me 42 years ago. 1967, that's 42 years, isn't it? And uh, I preached it for the first time in 1967. And then down through the years, I preached it many, many times all over the country. In 1970, I put it on long play record album. And then uh, in 1974, it was put in a book and uh, uh, preached it many times. I trust the Lord will let me have liberty to share with you tonight four different places in the Bible where Jesus shed blood. And we'll look at those four different places all on His road to Calvary when He went to the cross and died in our place. So we'll begin our lesson with Luke chapter 22 and verse number 14. I'm going to ask you, if you will, to stand with me as we read the verses together. I'll read down through verse 20 and then have just a brief word of prayer and have you to be seated tonight for the message from God's Word. And when the hour was come, he sat down, the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire have I desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Would you pray with me, please? Uh, Could I have some water? Our Heavenly Father, I want to just pause and say thank you loving me enough to die in my place. Thank you, Lord, that you were willing to suffer at the hands of men and go to the cross and lay down your life for my redemption. Lord, help me never to take it lightly, but to remember the great price that was paid for my redemption and what you've done for me. And I pray, Lord, you'll bless this message tonight. Help me never just to get used to bringing it. But Lord, might it come from my heart in gratitude for all that you've done in my behalf. (coughs) Save some precious soul tonight. And I'll just say thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. 
Actually, <clears throat> there are <coughs> five times in the Scripture where Jesus shed blood. The first one is recorded in Luke chapter 2 and verse 21 where Jesus was circumcised. And outside of that, he never shed any more blood until he went to the cross to die for our sins. Now, in the circumcision, the Bible teaches us that on the eighth day of his life, as the Jewish custom was, <coughs> he was circumcised and named at that time. God didn't send His Son in the world to spill His blood or to shed it uh, without uh, purpose. He shed it to cover our sin and take them away from us. And uh, in Psalms chapter 91, verses 11 and verse number 12, the Bible tells us that He shall give His angels charge over Jesus, that they would bear him up, lest any time he would dash his foot against a stone. Let me, let me explain to you exactly what he's saying in that statement. The most natural thing in the world for a, a boy to do is to stump his toe. Boy, I tell you, I don't know how many times as a kid I went around with a stumped toe. We used to go barefooted back in my days. Of course, my parents felt like I needed to wash my feet every night after going barefooted all day, whether they needed it or not. Amen. But uh, I remember so many times of stumping my toe. Here was a young man that never had a stumped toe. When he would start his foot toward a rock, the Bible teaches the angels would bear him up. Get that again, Psalms 91, that he'll give the angels charge over thee, lest any time thou dash thy foot against a stone, they'll bear you up. So Jesus didn't come to recklessly shed his blood. He came into the world to shed it for the redemption of mankind. So I want to take you tonight in the scriptures to four different places besides the time of his circumcision where Jesus actually shed his blood. Turn, if you will, to the book of Matthew chapter 26 and verse 36. Here's the first place that we'll look where Jesus shed his blood. And all four of these places beginning first here in Gethsemane, where Jesus was praying on up to the time in which Jesus was nailed to the old rugged cross. But in 36 of uh, Matthew chapter 26, the Bible teaches us, reading down through verse 39, uh, the scripture said, Then cometh Jesus with them into a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit you here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. 
Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry you here, uh, and watch with me. And he went a little farther, and <coughs> fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Here's the first place where Jesus shed blood. The Bible teaches, as he prayed here in agony, being sorrowful even unto death, the scripture tells us that his sweat became as great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now I want us to see some things about here in Gethsemane where Jesus shed his precious blood. First of all, we learn about the purpose of the cup. Someone has said that uh, it represented death and that Jesus was now asking God to deliver him from dying. But that's not the truth at all. Jesus came to die. I read it in your hearing a few moments ago. In Luke 22, beginning at verse 14, Jesus said this, With desire have I desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He said, The time or my hour is now come. And thank God it was with desire that he came to this hour to die for our sins. If that be so, what is this cup that Jesus asked the Father if he could remove it from him? I want you to know that cup represents all the sin of all mankind. And Jesus, thank God, took that cup and drank it that he might become sin for you and for me in this world. Here's the first time in all eternity where God came into personal contact with sin. This was the dread that Jesus had. The dread that he was going to not only touch sin, but he was going to become sin for you and for me tonight. And so here we can see the purpose of that cup. Jesus was taking our sin upon himself that he might carry it to the cross and die in our place. But not only do I want you to see the purpose of the cup in Gethsemane, but I want you to see the pressure on our Christ. Look over, if you will, in the book of Luke chapter 22, and look with me at verse number 34. Luke chapter, uh, verse 44 rather. Luke 22 and verse 44. And here the Bible tells us in this passage, and being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. I remember hearing a doctor testify, and that medical doctor said, I just wondered after reading the account of Jesus shedding blood 
as he prayed in Gethsemane, if anyone else had ever shed blood in the same manner. And he said, to my amazement, I found in the medical records that many, many people had actually shed blood. He said there's a time when there's so much pressure on the human body that the cells would dilate and that blood would ooze out of those cells and they would become as drops of blood. That's the kind of pressure that our Lord was under as He bore up our sins. Thank God He loved me enough that He took my sins upon Himself and became sin for me that I would not have to go to the uh, uh, to hell in the life hereafter. So we can see the pressures that was upon our Savior here in the Garden of Gethsemane. Just as that word Gethsemane means, it's the press. Here he was pressed oh, until he sweat great drops of blood falling down to the ground. What a time. What a love our Lord had for us that he was willing to be in agony as he prayed and sought the face of God over this matter of drinking this cup. So we see in Gethsemane is the first place Jesus ever shed his blood. Now, if you will, turn with me to the book of John, chapter 19, and look with me at verse number 13. And here we find the second place where Jesus shed blood. Not only did he shed blood in Gethsemane, but the second place he shed blood was in a place called Gabbatha. And the word Gabbatha is a Hebrew word that means the pavement. I've had the privilege to go to that very spot where Jesus shed his blood here in this garrison room at Gabbatha. And it's still preserved under, they've dug down underground. And it's mapped out there in Jerusalem where Jesus was tried and strapped to a pole and beaten in Gabbatha. Verse 13 of John 19 said, When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and set him in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. So here is the second place where Jesus shed his blood. Let me, let me tell you about this place called Gabbatha. Now in Gethsemane, we find Jesus and the cup. But here at Gabbatha, it's Jesus and chastisement. Let me tell you what they did they would take a person and beat them very, very rigorously uh, and many times until they were dead. They would beat them here in Gabbatha. If you will, turn with me in your Bible to the book of Psalms 129 and look with me at verse number 3. Here's the first description given to us about how 
they beat Jesus in Gabbatha here with the cat of nine tails. The Bible tells us in verse 3, page 664 in your Schofield, it said the plowers plowed upon my back. They made uh, long their furrows. Now, I made mention this morning that I was not brought up in the country, but I knew, do know enough about plowing and farming. I do know enough to know about what it is and what it means to plow. It means to stick an instrument in the ground and pull that instrument uh, uh, until it breaks the ground up. Jesus uses that word to describe how they beat him at Gabbatha. And he said they plowed long their furrows. Now again, I know what a furrow is. There's a row that's plowed in the field, but somewhere along the way is a furrow. And a furrow is the deepest place that is cut in the field. It irrigates and takes the water to the places that it needs to be. And here, Jesus uses both of those terms and said, The plowers plowed upon my back, they made long their furrows. What happened? They took, and I want to illustrate it and show you tonight how they took what is called the cat of nine tails and they, this whip had a little hook on the end of it to put over the hand where it would not be pulled off and it had nine strands coming out the end of it, knots tied in those strands and in many of the strands there was bones tied in those knots in that whip that was used to beat Jesus with. And those Roman guards very well knew how to use the cat of nine tails. They would take a person, strip them down their back, and they would take them to a huge post in the middle of that room at Gabbatha. And there they would put them around that pole and tie their hands, pull their feet up and tie their feet where the skin across their back would be very tight. And then that Roman guard, that Roman soldier, would take the cat of nine tails and come across the back of that individual. And those pieces of bone that was tied in that cat of nine tails would stick up in the flesh. When it did, then he would pull that cat of nine tails and it would tear the skin as he pulled it across. Thirty-nine licks. They beat Jesus with a cat of nine tails. I'm told that after about a half a dozen uh, licks across the back, it's just a bloody mess. And after about 20 licks across the back, it looks like hamburger meat. It's so torn. And 39 times that man came across the back of our wonderful Savior and blood was pouring from his back. The skin on the back is uh, all that is covering the bones just about it. Very little meat and it doesn't take long to dig down 
into the veins and blood would begin to usher out of those places where they beat him uh, on that place called Gabbatha. And these uh, whips, would uh, they usually kept them wet. They kept them in a little place on each side, and it's still there in Jerusalem. And they would put these in the vinegar, and uh, it, they would beat these men many times. In fact, I'm told that about 50% of the people that was placed to that pole at Gabbatha never came loose from it alive. They died there as they were beaten at Gabbatha. So with the cat of nine tails, we find Jesus shedding his blood at Gabbatha, where they beat him 39 times. Usually, the Jews would describe it 40 licks less one. That's the 39 licks. 40 licks meant death. And to show their mercy, they dropped one from the 40 and their punishment was 39 licks across the back. So in Gabbatha, Jesus shed his blood. Now get this. After he had been in Gethsemane and sweat great drops of blood under the pressure of taking our sins upon himself. And after being taken to Gabbatha and strapped to that post and beaten unmercifully there in Gabbatha, shedding more blood, he was taken loose in Gabbatha. And we see the third place where Jesus shed his blood. Turn in your Bible with me, if you will, please, to the book of Mark, chapter 15, and verse number 16. You see, Jesus had already shed blood in Gethsemane after taking that cup. And now in Gabbatha, with a cat of nine tails, they had beat him and lacerated his back and blood flowed from him uh, in the back. Third, he was beaten by guards in a room called the garrison. Notice in verse 16 of Mark chapter 15, and the soldiers led him away. This is immediately after he was strapped to that post in Gabbatha. Now, the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole band. Let me tell you about this hall called Praetorium. And these guards that were there, they had a special name. They were the elite guard of Rome. There was about 600 men that was personally assigned to Pilate to take care and guard him. We would call these men in our day secret service men. They was willing to give their life in order to save their leader that uh, they were protecting. And Pilate had some 600 guards under his personal command. He had a special room 
called the garrison room or the praetorium because these was the praetorium guard. Nero had some 10,000 praetorium guard of which Paul led many of them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. But here we can see these guards as they took Jesus into that hall. Pilate had it where all 600 could gather together in that one place. And Pilate would come in and speak to them and encourage them and get their backing to give themselves completely for his protection. This was the room where they took Jesus and began unmercifully to beat him in that garrison room. Let's learn some things about this place where they carried him. First of all, the Bible teaches us that they crowned him with a crown of thorns. Let's read on here in Mark 15. Verse 17 said, And they clothed him with purple, here it is, and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head. Now, there were two types of crowns mentioned in the Word of God. They're called in the original Greek by two different names altogether. The Jewish crown was the diadema. It was a crown with diadems sticking up on it, like the little pasteboard ones you get at the Burger King, I believe it is. That's a diadema crown. That's the kind of crown that the king of the Jews wore. But the Romans had a crown. It was called the Stephanos crown in the Greek. And this Stephanos crown was a Roman crown. Therefore, it was, they would, a Roman leader had his crown, not diadems of gold, but they had wreaths of laurel wrapped around their head. You've seen it in pictures many times with a Roman leader with laurel leaves around his head. Well, instead of laurel leaves, there in that garrison room were some thorns. They used these thorns as kindling to start a fire in that place when it was cold. And they planted a crown of thorns and placed it on the head of our wonderful Savior. And these crowns had thorns, as you can see here, that looked like ice picks. And they took this crown and placed it on the head of Jesus. And as they pushed it down, blood began to flow from that crown that had been placed on the brow of our wonderful Savior. Boy, that just tells me, thank God, how much He loved me. He was willing to take everything that man had to offer to Him. He said earlier, and I quoted it this morning, let me give it to you again, in John 10, verse 17 and 18, No man taketh my life. I lay it down of myself. Oh, they were trying to kill Him. They were going to do away with Him here. And they crowned Him with a crown of thorns. They said, if He's a king... Let's put a robe on him. And they put that purple robe on him. And let's put a crown on him. And they plaited a crown of thorns and placed it on the brow 
of our wonderful, wonderful Savior. But I want you to notice something else. Not only do we see the crowning that took place when they put this crown of thorns on his head that caused him to shed more blood. But I want us to think about the cruelty that took place in that garrison room. I want you to see it with me, if you will. Turn in your Bible to the book of Psalms, if you will, chapter number 22. Psalms 22, page 608 in your Schofield, or 609. And here I want us to look at verse number 12. We see the cruelty that they showed our Savior as He hung on the old rugged cross. In verse number 12, like bulls, they beat Him. Here the Bible uses an animal to describe how Jesus was treated in that garrison room. Here's the prophecy of this event by these Roman guards that took place. In verse number 12, here's what Jesus said. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. Let me explain something to you about these bulls of Bashan that's referred to in this passage of Scripture. I've been to the country of Bashan where those bulls would run in herds, wild bulls. And when those bulls would spot a lamb that was away from the protective care of a shepherd, they would circle that lamb. Those bulls would circle him. And uh, that little lamb would just squat and be there. And those bulls would run in and butt him and knock him to the ground. And then they'd come back and take their place in the circle as they'd go around that lamb. Another would leave the pack and run in and butt him and knock him down again. They did that until the lamb could no longer get up, could no longer do anything, but would lay there and die. And here again, they had purpose to kill Jesus. Had he not gone to the cross, had he not died exactly like the Scripture said, there'd be no redemption. Had he died here, our redemption would have been void. But thank God he loves us enough to take everything the devil's got a hand to him and go to the cross and die in our place. You say, preacher, this event like wild bulls that compassed him round about, is that mentioned in the New Testament? Turn, if you will, with me to the book of Luke chapter 22 and look with me at verses 63 and verse number 64 here in the Scripture. Verse 63 and verse 64. Now this is these men in the garrison room, the praetorium guard of Pilate in those days as they were showing cruelty to our Savior. Here's what it said. And the men that held Jesus mocked Him and smote Him. And when they had blindfolded Him, they struck Him on the face and asked Him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote Thee? And many other things blasphemously spake they 
against him. Notice this, if you will. The Bible said here in that room, they that held Jesus, they put a blindfold on him. And then they began to take their place circular around him. One would leave the pack and come in and smite Jesus and knock him down. And then they'd step back and they'd say, if you're a prophet, tell us which one of us now did that to you. And on and on they mocked our wonderful Savior like the wild bulls of Bashan. They beset him round, the Bible said. Then look back at Psalms 22, if you will. Not only like bulls did they beat him, but like lions they literally bit him. Psalms 22, the Bible tells us about it in verse number 13. And it said, they gaped upon me with their mouths. Here's how. As a raving and roaring lion. Let me describe to you how that raving and roaring lion, which describes a young lion, how they would treat their prey. They would find a little lamb that had strayed, and those lions would run and they'd run beside that lamb and take bites out of him while he yet lived. They would bite. They were playing with him like a cat plays with a mouse. They would run beside him. And an old lion, when they would get beside a lamb, they would reach over because a lamb's heart is on just the surface, just barely inside the skin. And that old lion would pluck his heart and he would die immediately. Not so with the young lions. They would toy with them and cause them to suffer greatly because they would take bites out of them. And here the Bible is telling us like lions, they bit him. Matthew 27, if you look there with me, and verse number 30, and let's see what the Scripture said. In verse 27 and verse 30, And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. Here they are mistreating our Savior in that garrison room. But I want you to look over with me at Acts 7 and verse number 54. Jesus was not the only one that they treated in this matter. Here we find the first Christian martyr, Stephen himself, as that crowd got so worked up with hatred against him. Listen to what it talks about they did, beginning at verse 54 of Acts chapter 7. And When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. And so here... The Bible tells us that Stephen was treated in the same manner as he uh, was being stoned to death for his belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. So like lions, the Scripture's telling us they bit him. Look back now in Psalms 22, if you will, and let's look at verse 16. Not only like bulls did they beat him, 
Not only like lions did they bite him, but also like dogs they belittled him. Notice what verse 16 says, For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, and they pierced my hands and my feet. Here, the Bible is telling us, like dogs, they belittled our Savior. Look back again in the New Testament, if you will, at Mark chapter 15, and look at verse uh, number 30. Mark chapter, or Matthew, excuse me, uh, chapter 27 and verse 30. Matthew 27 and verse number 30. And it says, And they sped upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. Now here they were saying that he was uh, the king of kings and they were mocking him and belittling him. Now Mark 15, if you look back there with me please, and verse number 20, the Bible said, And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple and put on his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. So here the Bible talks about they mocked the Savior. Literally, it describes in places where they would come and bow before the Lord. When they would get up after mocking him in worship, they would spit in his face as the Bible teaches they would do so. And so we learn that like dogs, they belittled him. Isaiah chapter 50, if you look there with me, and uh, verse number 6, Matthew 50, and verse 6 says, Lift up your eyes, oh, that's 51, Verse 6 said, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Here the Bible's talking about that mocking of Jesus as a king. They had a crown of thorns on his head. They had a purple robe on his back. They'd bow down. When they'd raise up, they'd smite him and spit in his face as the Bible teaches us that they spat upon the Savior. Look at chapter 52, if you will, and verse 14. Let's see just how un unmerciful this beating was where they beat Jesus. In verse number 14 of Isaiah, here's the prophecy of the same beating. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of man. I want you to see what the Bible is saying in this verse. It said his visage had lost the form of a human being. He had been so mutilated. He had been so beaten with rods and fists and, and, uh, sped upon and had his beard plucked from his face. The scripture tells us here uh, that uh, uh, they had so mocked and belittled our wonderful Savior that he didn't look like a human being any longer. 
That's how much punishment they put him through. They beat his body until it was unrecognizable, not as Jesus, but as a human being itself. So we see by the guards, Jesus shed more blood. Now turn, if you will, with me to the book of John chapter 19 and look with me at verse 16 and verse number 17. Here's the fourth and final place where Jesus shed His blood. He shed His blood in Gethsemane, revealing the cup when He sweat drops of blood. He shed blood at Gabbatha, revealing the chastisement. And there shed blood from the cat of nine tails. And then He shed blood by the guards, revealing their cruelty as they put a crown on His head and mocked and beat Him unmercifully in that praetorium room that's described in the Scripture. Now, we see the last place He shed blood was Golgotha, where He was crucified. And Here we see the crucifixion. Verse 16 and 17 said, In John 19, Then delivered He Him therefore unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led Him away. And He, bearing His cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. Here the Bible talks about His shedding blood at Golgotha. I've been on the journey. It's called Via Della Rosa. And Via Della Rosa means the pathway of suffering. It's marked out beginning there at the temple, going out through the gate and up to the hill called Calvary where they crucified Him. They have markers on that route going up Via Della Rosa. And those markers say some 14 times Jesus fell under the load of the cross. He had lost so much blood as He sweat blood in Gethsemane, as He suffered unmercifully in Gabbatha, and as they beat Him in the garrison room. Now He makes His way to Calvary to lay down His life. The steps to the cross. There's some thousand steps that Jesus had to make bearing that cross that He was going to be crucified on. Oh, thank God He was willing to bear it for me and for you along the way. Then I want to talk about not only the steps to the cross, but I want to talk about the suffering of the cross. When they got to that place where they were going to crucify Him, I believe one of the most unusual events took place that could ever take place, and those people were literally astonished at what happened. No doubt as they reached the crest of that hill, the Roman guard said, be uh, on watch. He'll try, to, he'll try to get away. He'll try to keep us from nailing Him to the cross. Hold Him. Praise God, I don't believe they had to touch Him. For this cause came I into the world. I believe He laid down on that old rugged cross. 
and stretched out his hands and they drove those nails in his hands. And I, I, I want you to know, I picked this nail up in Jerusalem. It's a nail like they used to nail Jesus to the cross. And they put it in his hands. And after they nailed him there to the cross by his hands, they had a little post on the bottom of the cross. And they put both feet on it. And they took a third nail and they put it through both feet, driving it in to the cross to hold his feet. Now, I want to explain to you why they did that. You see, the cross is the most cruel way for a person to die of any execution. If a person is put at the stake and burned when those flames lick up, and he breathes them in. He's unconscious and doesn't know the suffering of the burning that he'd go through. In the gas chamber, as soon as that gas is turned on, the person becomes unconscious and they die. In the electric chair, it's the same way. When they hang a man, when that rope drops, it breaks his neck and he dies. The most cruel way that a person could die It's through crucifixion. They would hang people on the cross and they'd hang there for hours as people would come by and mock them. This was society's way of getting back at that person that was here nailed to the cross. And they'd walk by and cast accusations at that person that was dying on the cross. Jesus hung there on the cross and suffered for you and I. Thank God He died for our sin. But I want you to think about this with me. His back had been so lacerated that it was open wound. Why, when they took that robe off of Him in the garrison room, when they pulled it off, no doubt, it caused the blood to flow because it had set up and clotted some because of that garment. And they pulled it off and put His garment back on. But then here on the cross, Jesus was hanging on the cross by His hands and by His feet. And all the weight was on His hands. And there He'd stand it as long as He could. There's muscles and nerves that come through the arms across the chest. And when a person hangs in that manner, it causes their breath to give out. It causes them to suffocate. And so in order to get some relief, if you can call it relief, they would raise up on their feet with that spike drove through it to relieve themselves from the pressure on their hands. They'd stand there for a moment and then fall again on their hands, standing as long as they could there, and raise back up on their feet, back and forth and back and forth, and there for six long hours, our Savior was on that cross. Six hours up and down with His back rubbing against that cross, and those nails pulling at His hands and His feet as Jesus was doing exactly what he said he was going to do at that last supper. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you 
He shed every drop of his blood there on that old rugged cross. You say, preacher, how you know that he shed all of his blood after they had come, they broke the legs of the other two. Now, you say, why did they break their legs and how could breaking legs kill them? I gave you that a moment ago. You can only stand this so long. You'd raise up on your feet. Once they broke their legs, they could no longer raise up on their feet. And it wouldn't be long with that pressure on their arms from their body until they would suffocate and die. Oh, when they come to Jesus, they saw that He was dead already. And the Bible said they break not His legs to fulfill the Scriptures where it is written, not a bone of His body shall be broken. Thank God He loved us enough to suffer and die in our place to go to the cross and there die for you and I. But get the picture with me. Here He is on that cross and He gives way. He gives way. No longer to lift up on His feet. He gives His life. They're not going to take it from Him. He voluntarily gives His life. You say, how did that man know he was dead when a person suffocated on the cross by those arms being pulled? Their tongue would swell up and stick out of their mouth. And he saw immediately. In fact, the Bible tells us in Psalms 22, describing the crucifixion, he said, my tongue cleaveth to the roof of my mouth. Here it's showing when he died, he voluntarily gave his life. Thank God for you and I that we might live and be free from the hole that sin has put upon us. I want you to notice something with me in conclusion tonight. When Jesus went to the cross, He lost the use of three different things. First of all, He lost the, uh, the use of His voice. Has it ever occurred to you that the preacher of all preachers only spoke seven short sayings on the cross? over the space of six hours? Just seven short... Why did He not say more? Because you see, those vocal cords began to be paralyzed and He could hardly speak as He hung on the cross. He lost the use of His voice. And those nails driven through His hands made Him lose the use of His hands. And also those nails through His feet caused him to lose the use of his feet. But I'm glad, hallelujah, when you and I come to the cross and we die with him, when we give ourselves over in surrender to him, we become his voice to speak. We become his hands to minister. We become his feet to go. And he gets all three of these back in you and me when we come to the cross and have our sins eradicated through the cross of Calvary. I'm so glad He loved me enough to suffer and shed His blood for my redemption. Would you stand with me please?
with our heads bowed and our eyes closed in the service tonight. I wonder, I wonder, have you been to Calvary? Have you been to the cross to ask Jesus to come into your heart and forgive you for your sin? Only the cross will set you free. You may live a good life and that's commendable, but it won't get you to heaven. What have you done with Jesus? Have you accepted Him and what He did for you on the old rugged cross? If you've not been to the cross, if you're not born again, I want you to come right now to Jesus and ask Him to save you by His wonderful grace. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, Brother Bob, I've been saved, but I've not been the voice, the hands and the feet of Jesus like I need to be. I just want to come and thank God for taking my place on the cross and giving me a place in life to live forever and ever and ever. Our Father, in Jesus' wonderful name, would you move upon this audience tonight, touch some precious heart, and help them to come to Jesus, to know how much you loved them, Lord, and still love them. You suffered and shed your blood for our eternal redemption. Now, Lord, help us, instead of dying for you, help us to live for you in this life. For Jesus' sake, I pray in His name. Amen. I want to sing one verse of song. And I invite you to come tonight. If you'd like to be saved, let us know it where we can pray for you. If you'd like to come and just thank the Lord or say, Lord, I want to surrender anew and afresh to you. You come. While we sing, what number, my brother? 210. Would you come tonight, right now?